You're listening to Hey guys, welcome back to First of All, a real unfiltered conversation on career, family, relationships, and culture. I'm your host, Minji Chang. Welcome to my space. Let's have good vibes. I'm here to help you find your voice. I hope you're staying safe and healthy, y'all. And to start this off, because we are still in the age of COVID, and because this is my motherly vibes coming out to you, I'm going to own that maternal cancer vibe that I got. Wear your mask, social distance, wash your hands, do the quarantine thing. This is not over. And especially if you're listening from the United States, y'all, like I really have a lot of faith that uh, the people that that tune into this podcast are people who have a general grip on reality, a, a sense of responsibility, integrity, intelligence, compassion, and care for themselves and for others. And are ones that do wear masks and and self-isolate and all of the things. That's why you're here. That's why why we are vibing with each other. But just in case that you're not, and it's, if you are as sick of all of this as much as I am, and you're getting a little bit like antsy, stir crazy, and maybe a little bit relaxed about all the different protocols that are necessary right now, let me just put a gentle and firm reminder out there that this is not over yet. We're not even out of the first wave. If anything, the first wave is growing and it's really, really sad and scary. Um, But we're going to call it what it is because that's, again, how we roll at first of all. So um, yeah, not cool. It's not even not cool. This is dangerous. It's not even time to be cute. Like this is scary stuff. So we really need to hold it down. Um, I'm in California and it's really... (laughs) concerning and upsetting of like how bad our numbers are and these aren't just numbers these are people's lives you know and we're getting more information at this point we're in july of 2020 of this dumpster fire crazy awakening uh conscious raising year and um you know there are people who are going to have all sorts of opinions and think that it, it can't affect them because they're young um and if they're not going to die, they're willing to do it because like all of the, you know, all of the anxiety and the isolation is like just too much and they'll just deal with the consequences. And I will be totally real. I have felt and thought those same things, my very freaking self. And it's, I get it. Also pay attention to the facts. Like there are long-term effects. So just, God, it's going to turn into a public health threat, but just like read up. Be informed, understand what's going on, okay? I'm sorry if I'm just, like, yelling at you, but I'm very passionate about this. There are long-term effects to it. Even if you don't die, it's freaking miserable, and you you could risk that. A, why would you do that to yourself and to the people that care about you? And also, you're exposing other people, and they didn't sign up for that just because you wanted to go to a freaking 4th of July party. Like, just be smart. You know what I mean? Um, and I'm I'm really microdosing as much as I can for my own sanity um, and for my own self-care, but to continue to be learning about what's going on. Um, There are long-term health consequences to our immune systems, to our brains, um, to our lungs. Like there's, 
This is not normal. This is not the flu. There's all kinds of misinformation happening out there. So please just be educated, be aware, and take care of yourselves because taking care of yourself is taking care of others, which is like an overall ongoing theme here at First of All because we're talking about a lot of other things besides just, you know, a virus. Uh, we're talking about mental health and we're talking about relationships and we're talking about healing and trauma and all these all these uh, really, really important facets of our life. But we cannot ignore the physical. And I'm all about the physical. I am that self-proclaimed bio geek. So, um, you know, I'm not an expert, though I do really, really care about it. And we can't ignore that. And even though I hesitate to speak on all that because I'm not an expert, I do really want to encourage everybody and serve a reminder to myself to be really vigilant about this, to not take it lightly. I'm having all kinds of mixed feelings because the people that I see around me and even on social media, like, it's hard not to judge, but I'm just like, yo, what are you doing? I may have to have words with some people. Like, I've, anyway, that's a whole other conversation, but just suffice it to say, please take care of yourself. This is uh, not over yet. And it is the way that we're going to have to navigate life for quite a while moving forward. And because we're smart and because we are caring of ourselves and caring of others, and because we do want the very best outcome, there is a certain level of responsibility that we are going to participate in and take on. Because it's the right thing to do and it will yield the best outcome, right? So, um, again, those are the people that I, I roll with. And uh, I really encourage anybody tuning in, if you haven't already been turned off and like left at this point, it's all from love and it's all with hope and faith in the future because I want the best for us all, including me. So, yeah. Welcome to the podcast. I'm really, really excited for this week's episode. It has been a very crazy year. That's That goes without saying. And here we are in July of 2020. It's cancer season. We're all up in our feelings. If y'all don't follow that spiritual world, um, I do. And it's it's been very revealing and, and um, fun for me and helpful for me to just kind of get in touch with these different vibrations, these different frequencies. Again, it's not everybody's cup of tea. But if you guys don't know, like cancer season is all about our feelings, about home life, about systems. Um, it's ruled by the moon. So there's a maternal vibe. Like we're thinking a lot about the very core values of who we are as people. So if you've been feeling really emotional lately, it's not just because of COVID and it's not just because of the social justice upheavals. It's because there's kind of an emotional current that's out there in the world and um, it's just coming out and manifesting in all of our lives in different ways. That is, that is what I perceive, observe, feel intuitively. So just putting that out there. Um, and because of that, I've been able to kind of investigate some deeper issues and um, have some conversations that I feel like have been just not on the back burner, but something that I've really, really been caring a lot about and therefore having a lot of fear around putting out in the universe. But anyway, uh, June was Pride Month, and I feel like with everything that was happening with the Black Lives Matter movement and that's still happening right now, it's definitely not stopped. Um, you know, there's there's been a lot of conversations that 
that are still just there, you know, like it's, it's in queue, right? And this conversation is definitely one of them. It is with one of my favorite people on the planet. It is with Dilo, who is a queer, transgender, Tamil Sri Lankan, American actor, writer, and comic. Okay, so Dilo, I know through the Comedy Comedy Festival and Disoriented Comedy. I met him through Jenny Yang and that crew. Um, Dilo is just seriously one of the kindest, funniest, most hardworking people I've met. And he is genuinely just a bright light. So this conversation on his experience and his perspective and the things that he's learned through these multiple identities that have merged into being expressed in who he is as a queer, transgender, Tamil Sri Lankan, American actor, writer, and comic, um, and poet, which I didn't know until now, um, is just, I don't know, it just really struck a, struck a chord with me in my soul, and I'm hoping that it will open up more conversations out there in the world as we all discover the intersections of all of our identities, because we are not one single category, we're not one checkbox, we're not one... Um, you know, label. We're not. We're human. We're complex. We're layered. We're nuanced. And we are intersectional. And um, I'm really, really excited to share this episode with you guys. And I hope that uh, it resonates with all of you and teaches you something, creates some more conversations, some thoughts, some introspection. And a little bit on Dilo. Um, Dilo's solo shows have toured the college circuit and theaters and festivals internationally. And his work has been published or written about in academic journals and anthologies. And he's been featured in The Guardian, NBC, The Advocate. He's acted in things like Looking, Transparent, Sense8, Mr. Robot. So wildly talented and just beyond the talent, just such a deep thinker and a bright soul. And um, currently he has a series based on his life that's set up at the BTR Media and Paul Feig's Powder Keg Media. And most recently, Dilo was awarded the Artist Disruptor Fellowship through the Center for Cultural Performance and the 5050 by 2020, which is an initiative started by Joey Soloway. Um, Again, these credits are just, I don't know, they're just not enough. But you guys will get to experience Dilo's mind, his heart, and um, get some real gems. So I hope that you enjoy this episode. Also, I want to note that this is the closing episode. This is this episode is closing out three years of First of All. And I just realized that this is episode 118, which is so synchronistic and serendipitous because my favorite number is 18 my birthday is the 18th of july which is this saturday and um yeah it's been three three years of this podcast and this space and this growth and this evolution i finally have a website that i'm if anybody's gone to it it's just like changing by the hour because i keep updating it but it is a continuation of my growth as a content creator and a producer and um yeah, I will have a bonus episode out this week, which will be my reflections on these past three years and finally sharing my inner child stories and process that has been requested of me and that I've been promising for quite a while. So please keep an eye out for that. I'm really excited to kick off this new year in my life uh, as a woman, as an artist, and also as a CEO. So you'll hear more about that in the next episode because gonna be I'm going to be announcing some 
new chapters in my life. It's definitely been wild. It has been a crazy, crazy, crazy time for so many reasons. But I just want to thank everybody so much for riding with me to this point, for being part of this journey, for the growth that you all have had and the feedback you've given me, the gratitude you've shown me. And I put it right back out to you because having this space exist has been truly transformational for me as a person. And um, I I really wouldn't be who I am without this podcast. And it has only given me more motivation and more purpose and more excitement and joy to create more. I really never thought I would get here. You know, again, I'll go into this in the next episode because we want to get to to D-Lo. I really just am baffled and astounded and happy to be here with all of you guys so thank you thank you thank you thank you so much for tuning in check out firstofallpod.com it's my new website i will be blogging and whatnot and uh, linking y'all to some exciting new updates and yeah merch all that fun stuff but without further ado please enjoy this episode on intersecting all our identities with Dilo. Enjoy. I don't know what you're saying, though. Don't you know? Yeah. Came in 88 with a dream also bright eyed. They knew right away. Hi, Dila. Hi, Minji. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing as good as I can be right now in this hour talking to you. In the present moment, right? Because that's exactly. all we have. Exactly. Oh, dear. Are you, are you in LA? I am in LA. We're we're a special part of the universe right now, aren't we? We we definitely <laughs> are. We definitely are. I am in LA, but I'm in the cyber world with you. Yeah, this is our safe space, our virtual, our virtual. My I used to call this my virtual living room when I first started this podcast because I was thinking of the vibe I wanted to set. Yeah, and I was just like, "Welcome to my virtual living room." I don't say that anymore, but it's essentially the vibe. Yeah, no, I I like that. I feel like I am enveloped into in a sofa of your choosing in this virtual living room. And you are on the opposite side of that sofa. And we're just sipping tea laced with our whiskey of choice. Indeed. Or maybe CBD or whatever. Exactly. Whatever whatever floats our boat. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. I love it. So now that we've uh, acclimated everybody to our... Our, our safe space, our virtual couch and everything. Um, I just want to say thank you. I know that you, you're super busy and I just have, I'm a fan, you know this. Um, and, and to take mental space out of anything right now to like, let's talk about life and all the it's intricacies, excuse my stumbling of words, um, but all of its intricacies and complexities right now is, is mm-hmm. I feel like in general for anybody that I'm talking to, it's like a big ask. Do you feel that way? You know, I mean, I think that sometimes it's a big ass, like pride just happened. And so it was like, Mm -hmm. I was getting asked to do a ton of things and, and I had to turn it down because I was just getting too burnt out. Yeah. Um, But, but, you know, there's also hanging out with the homies, which is kind of like what we're doing right now. And so, you know, I, I, it's, it's not, it, it doesn't feel like a huge departure or that. I have to like compartmentalize all my feelings in order to be on this phone call with you. Like I, I looked forward to it this morning. 
Oh, I'm so, I feel so honored. And ditto, I was like genuinely, I looked at my, I'm doing a lot of check-ins with myself right now. I don't Mm -hmm. know how your process is, but I have to consistently check my calendar because I'm repeatedly forgetting things. Like, oh yeah, I have that. (laughs) Because usually my mental, my capacity for memory has is greater. But I saw us on the calendar and I was like, yes, I'm that day I get to talk with Dilo, and so I was really excited too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Do you remember, speaking of memory, do you remember when we met? Like, I don't, I'm, I was really digging through my mind. I know that it was through Jenny, through Jenny Yang. Absolutely, it was through Jenny. I believe that it was when y'all started working together, because I remember when she told me, she was like, yo, like this, this young Asian woman, she reached out to me. She's working with collaboration. She's really eager. She's really dope. She has a great head on her shoulders. And, and so I was like, okay, that's so amazing. And so then, um, and then I think that you had come to a disoriented show Mm -hmm. and that was, and you had, you might've come already, but I remember that we met, I, I believe it was at the old echoes. I just passed by there and I had a surge of memory. I, I think so too. I think you're right. Yeah, it was at the old Echoes. And then after that, um, you came on board to do when when everybody was doing the first um, comedy comedy festival. So yeah. so that that to me is kind of like the era in which uh, Minji met D'Lo and D'Lo met Minji. Those are good times, especially now when I'm thinking back. Those are really uh, beautiful, beautiful times. And there will be more. You know, I'm not saying that in complete despair, but uh, those are really good times. Can you, I mean, I, I, I speak of obviously your, the kind of synopsis, hype woman version of who you are. I'm curious to hear your your elevator pitch or the way you tell people about disoriented and the way you talk about comedy comedy because I always hear that a lot from Jenny and Asuka's point of view I've heard that pretty frequently so like yeah how is that I want to hear Dilo's version if you would if you would indulge yeah um my version of disoriented comedy was that um you know like Jenny and Asuka met in in that comedy stand-up comedy class and then and with and then with Yola they created disoriented comedy but I came on as like the cousin to the group initially, but then I was like, you know, I can produce shows and this is, I would love to like continue working because I kept getting asked to come either do a show or to, um, to travel up and do a show in the Bay or in, in different, different places. And I was like, like, why don't we, why don't we three try and like kick something off here and we can do this. And so um, I came on, as a co-producer mm. and um and those were like honestly like really amazing beautiful times in my life because um you know they're, they're still my sisters like we don't work together but they're still my sisters and and um and you know there's to, for me especially like i love being in collaborative rooms or collaborations in general mm-hmm. and so the fact that you know like I, I was as mostly touring the university college circuit or the festival circuit as a solo performer. And, you know, it gets lonely on the road. So it was almost like, it was just like such a treat to be on the road with um, two people who I really cared about and loved deeply. And, um, and that's, that's the, the look of the work for me. 
Um, mm. I think that things were kind of getting more difficult to take on the bulk of the work um, as disoriented. And, you know, some people came on to help and some people did this and that. But like, I think that, I think that at some point it, it was, it was, um, it was getting like maybe a bit too much. I, I know that for me, like I couldn't put in as much time and effort because I was still on the road doing other things as well. Right. But, um, and then I had a lot of family stuff happening in those years as well. So it just kind of ended up happening in this way and um, that, that we stopped working together. But, you know, I think that even as close as, I, I want to say like even last year or the year before that we were doing a gig or two together. So it's still, it's still happening. Like they're still my sisters and they're still like in my life in a big way, but um, mm -hmm. we're not working as disoriented anymore. Right. I mean, that's, that's, that's like, it's its own entity and it has its own life. Right. And I don't know why, as you were, as, as you were saying this, the imagery of just like destiny's child was coming in my mind. Like, <laughs> you know, like you're, you're a force together, but it's also, it's just, it's love and respect too to like understand life takes its twists and turns and you go your paths. It doesn't really, it might change the organization because that's a beast to, yeah, to yeah. manage um, any kind of company or organization or tour, you know, a production is a production, right? Yeah. Like, and still I, love. And I, totally. And I think that Disoriented was like a home base, but I think that each one of us knew that there were other dreams and goals that we had and either we helped each other with or we, you get, you get what I'm saying? So yeah. it was, it was, it served its purpose is what I'm saying. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for the mere fact, I'm just going to make this about me for a second. But the fact that it introduced me to you, I'm just like, success. It was totally yeah, worth it. And I, yes. and I thank you because this is a recognition I have and a respect I have for producers because it is one thing absolutely to be a talent and to hone a craft and be skillful at, at your, you know, talent. A talent that you turn into a skill that you turn into a craft, right? Yeah. And also there's a lot of kind of, I really have heart for behind the scenes people, you know, being a producer myself Absolutely. without, with that, without that organization, without the nitty gritty logistics and the, you know, scheduling and the sound checks and the microphones and like, you know, whatever it is, none of that can really be shared with others. And that's like really the point of it, right. That we do these things and have all these uh, feelings and thoughts and and wishes and creations that we want to share with another person and they allow that to happen so yeah yeah absolutely props absolutely. to all of you for for not only doing the thing because all of you guys are so hilarious like there was something that felt like home with your guys comedy like yeah. I genuinely felt that that's why I was so drawn into it because it was like oh this is my kind of humor. This is, it, it, it struck a, a soul part of my funny bone, right? Yeah, no, I, I think that that was the other thing. A lot of people used to tell, tell me that like, it was just nice because I think that the, the, the love that we have for each other was always like, you know, like even if it was one, one of us on the stage at a time, like you could just tell like we all really, really, really loved each other and yes. that you could feel that. And then I think that, you know, all of us grew as artists and as comics and um, and our materials changed or like we were influenced by each other. So there was just like this certain like a 
a sort of unspoken cohesiveness that people mm-hmm. were understanding was in the room. So, yeah. hundred percent. I love that. And that's also real because uh, with live events, you can't fake the funk. You either like it's there or it's not. Yeah. And, and you can't, you can't manufacture it, you know? So I think that adds uh, a certain layer of like, for at least the audience, like I just enjoyed being there. It's like mm-hmm. a great space to be in. Cause it's like hilarious, but there's, it's not a, it's not a catty or, I don't know, for lack of a better, like, it's not a shitty environment, you know, it's yeah. just, you're there to have a good time and laugh. And I want to say, like, to, I, I'm really curious, because I don't know the full, like, origin story of how you got into comedy. But when you first took the stage, I just remember, like, having such an impression on me when you when I first heard your comedy, because I cannot mm-hmm. identify when exactly it was. But I do remember, like, as soon as you did your set, I was like, who is D'Lo? And I, I'm in love. Like, this is so yeah. amazing. And I just remember feeling really connected with your comedy. Cause it was so, it was like, I don't know. I just want to encourage everybody listening, please. Like you're welcome by the way, like my gift to you <laughs> is go check out D'Lo's comedy. Cause it was so, it was like biting cause it's so real, but it was very uh, accessible too. I don't know how else to put it. Yeah, no, I, I feel you. Um, my start in comedy, so I started mostly as a poet and mm. I was mostly involved in the hip hop scene, like in in New York and um, like underground social justice hip hop scene. Right. Mm-hmm. And and then um, because I was doing spoken word and poetry, I would get called to go to various colleges and universities and and spit my poetry. But to preface the poet poems, I would say these comedic stories and mm. people love them. And then like one year, I think it was like early 2000s, I got asked to be a, a part of a, um, a like an event at a, at, a, at a university. I think it was like an Ikasu or something like that. But they asked me to come and do comedy which I no way was <laughs> saying that I was a comic, right? Yeah. But I think that people had just associated me with being funny and so more more so than with my poems right Mm -hmm. so I ended up doing that Ikasu thing and then right after that hella people started calling me to come and do their to do their gigs and and to do comedy and so I started sort of doing a blend uh, that now my set became a blend of doing both poems and and like more intentional comedically written stories. And then when I started doing theater around that same time in the New York um, queer and underground scene as well, like these are like off, off Broadway houses. um, I, all of my writing was semi comedic and it was, it was almost like with, with the theater, I could write my own story. Like up until that point with the poems and everything that my, my work in the poetry especially was like more larger issues and it wasn't necessarily talking about my life personally. Mm. So it was about like AIDS or civil war in Sri Lanka or um, queerness or, you know, whatever it was, women's issues, feminist issues. Right. Mm -hmm. And then, um, and then when I started writing about my life um, as a Masca center queer person, I, I started being able to write, um, more more comedically about the stuff that I was going through, but it still had like a balance of like that real and and the comedy. And so it was through 
I think honing my skills as a as a writer in in theater that I started understanding like um, my own style of uh, stand up because mm-hmm. I'm I'm not necessarily like my my setups are a little bit longer. Um, there's miniature punchlines throughout, and then there's a good there's a good punchline at the end, and and uh, that just without me even being trained or really understanding the equation around comedy I just knew that this is what was working mm-hmm. and so um and so then when I came to LA and I found out that Jenny was doing stand-up I was like yo like I want to be doing stand-up too and this was actually a couple years after that so um I, I forget when Jenny started taking classes or started doing stand-up but but I was like yeah this is what I want to do too but I couldn't leave the road to be in LA for that for too long Mm-hmm. Uh, because that was my main, like, that was how I was getting paid, you know? Right. So, um, so it was only when I think it was like early, like it was 2010 or something like that, that I started taking it a little bit more seriously. And even now, like, I feel like, you know, I'm, I feel like I, I say that I'm an actor, writer, comic, but I feel like I'm an artist and comedy is something that I do, whether it takes the form of me being on stage with a mic in a stand-up comedy venue, or if it's like the stuff that I'm writing theatrically, or if it's, you know what I'm saying? Like whatever it is, it's, yeah. it, I feel like I find like, especially now it's sort of like, well, I'm not able to do much. <laughs> like I'm not able to do anything <laughs> that's live. So so what is what does the work look like now? You know, and it's a it's a nutty time and it's crazy. And it's like, um, you know, how, how do you even be comedic in this time? You know, it's just like a bunch of sarcasm. I feel like I got in my body right now. You know what I'm saying? Right. And so so it's so I'm right now I'm I'm OK taking a backseat on saying that, like, comedy is what I do 24 seven. Like right now, I'm like, I'm an artist. I'm in creative space. I'm I'm watching and observing and I'm doing the best that I can as an artist. And like, that's going to be what it is for right now until, until we can all start laughing again. Right. Well, I just want to, I'm just taking a moment because that's such a, I'm like really moved by that framing of it. And it's such an interesting time where I think everything's kind of under the microscope in terms of how we categorize things. And the the survival mode that we're in and this reframing of the world that we're living in and then the necessity to communicate um like what we're feeling you know what i mean mm-hmm. like there's more checking mm-hmm. in i think that that's a really beautiful way to put it to contextualize it because everything's changing i mean it always was right just right now it's like super intense and specific to yeah. like a pandemic um but i really just appreciate you framing it that way because i think it's just telling of who we are as people, not just like profession wise, right? Like we are, we are many things. We are not just one category. And I think that's also exactly. important to point out in, in the context of this discussion, um, getting to know one another and our origin stories. Like I don't like, uh, people use the word intersectional, right? And I don't mm-hmm. know how I feel about the usage of it all the time, but I'm saying like, we are, we're layered. We're onions. We're complex. We have a lot of different, parts of us that kind of merge into who we are. Yeah. I I think that um 
Yeah, like I, I think that right now especially is a time to uh, be like, I, I think that it's like the best time to sort of contribute to the the time that like we're in right now, like the pandemic plus uprising. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's such a powerful moment right now. And some of us know exact, like we were built for this powerful moment and we know exactly what our place is and we know what we need to be doing. And there's a whole heap of us who are literally on the other side of that spectrum who are like, I don't know what the fuck to do. And so they're just mm-hmm. getting their they're grounding because so much of their life has been like, maybe they didn't even have the time to think about themselves. You know what I'm saying? They were just on a go, right. go, go pattern. And so, right. you know, there's a lot of things that are happening for folks like that. And then there's folks who are in the middle who I feel like are a mixed bag of a whole bunch of people, but where us artists are, I think that, you know, some of us are like inspired to create things and inspired to continue to do the things that we were doing prior because there's space for it and some Mm -hmm. of us are like i don't even know what i'm supposed to be doing um and i will just shut up and listen listen to black people black trans folks listen Mm -hmm. to um people who have consistently been on the margins whose lives are always on the line and kind of figure out like where i want to be in this moment in time and what I want to do based off of what I'm listening and how I want to show up in this world. Right. Can you just talk the rest of the hour? I just want to hear your, your thoughts on everything. <laughs> this is the, this is the poet deal that I, I, I really, I, one day I hope to, to witness you doing poetry because I've, I've known you as the standup comedian. Um, but I, I have no doubt that it's absolutely like awe inspiring and 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 to build off what you're saying, you know, I personally, you know, this is this is my virtual space, right? My my podcast, and I've I'm being as intentional as possible to invite conversations that I'm uncomfortable with, I guess, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for for different reasons. That word uncomfortable, I think, is even being further granularized, like being like, why are you uncomfortable? Do you feel, you know? Mm-hmm. Is it because you're scared? Is it because it like really just like perturbs you? Like, what is that? We're we're like doing the emotion wheel. Do you know the feelings wheel? We're yeah. Like, yeah. I'm like diving deep into that to like ask myself better questions of like, what about it makes you uncomfortable? Mm-hmm. Because it's not, it's not just a one size fits all kind of thing. Right. So I was just like, I think something I've identified um, through the process of having this podcast, this is episode we're in the hundreds. Like I passed a hundred marks. And I never thought I'd do that. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I was just scared to expose my my own ignorance. Mm, I think that's really yeah. the, the it made me flinch from one, even though I had so many opinions and so many thoughts and so many questions, like think like people I wanted to talk to and you know, in my mind, just like share with the world. I felt so like even though I had all those feelings, there was like this pushback of well, what are people going to, I mean, really it falls under the category of what are people going to think and how stupid are you going to come off? Or honestly, even now, and something I'd love to hear your thoughts about, is like cancel culture. Like to what degree is this going to bite you in your ass, right? If you mm-hmm. say the wrong thing, if you ask a question disrespectfully without intending to, right? It's X, Y, Z. Like we've seen so many examples of that. I, I was very like, 
cautious and scared to volunteer to put myself in that position. And that kept me in a place inherently of silence because I was Mm -hmm. just like, well, then I just won't, I won't do it. You know, I'm just not going to talk or I'll talk to people privately, but I won't put it on a platform. And so those are the kinds of things that I've definitely unpacked, even in hosting this podcast, Mm -hmm. um, that I'm scared to reveal what I, what I, what I like sadly, quote unquote, don't know. But I'm at a point now where I'm like, yo, I just don't know this. And if that's the thing that's in between me knowing and potentially inviting others who don't know to sit with me in my discomfort and like together we can learn. Cool. Like, fine. Yeah, absolutely. Let's do it. It's a powerful, powerful thing to know to, you know, like if, if it's, I, I totally commend you because I feel like, you know, yes, we can read things and, but we're still going to have questions. And I think that it is through conversations and, and checking in with ourselves and seeing where, where things aren't settling for ourselves. Like that's where we get to a deeper truth of humanity and ourselves. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I, I'm curious with your poetry and with your experience, because that's what I, that's what I was learning straight from the get go with your standup was your experience as a queer person, as a queer South Asian, especially, you know, it's just, I love how you blended and acknowledge all these different facets of your identity. Mm-hmm. Uh, how can you, I'm just curious, like, how did that come to light? Like with what, cause you're saying that it started with like, you just you making funny asides before a poem. Yeah. Um, I'm just curious, just whatever you're, yeah. I don't even know how to frame the question. Yeah. I just want to know more about that. Yeah. Well, I think that because, well, I feel like queer people, we are very resilient as a community because we lean to, into each other and we're, we're, we're almost like learning from other queer people and not necessarily our elders all the time, but like people who are our own age, like, mm-hmm. um, like each, like I remember going through a really rough time with family and not having like any support and going to my queer friends and being like, this is what happened. And like, either they were going through similar or they were about to go through similar or they've already like gone through the fire, you know? And, Mm -hmm. but this was where we could take, I could take something that was so painful. I could take my pain and my sorrow to my friends, my chosen family and be able to heal like right away because I could come in crying and then like by the end of the night, I'm laughing with them and we're clowning the people involved in the stories that were so painful, you know, like there was, there was no longer a space for me to feel like a victim, but it was almost like understanding that so many people have gone through similar things as I, and I have the, um, I have a choice to, to um, like, I, I was going to be sad regardless, but I could let it eat me or I could try and see my way through this, this moment, you know? Mm. Um, and I know that it's a lot more complex than that, but I'm, I'm simplifying it to basically say that queer people, when we make comedy, like, the shit's just going to be extra fucking funny, more funnier than other people because of the lens. And I know that you said that you don't know how you feel about the word intersectional, but like, if we're all like, um, 
we have a multitude of identities, our intersections, like if you're queer and of color and you're poor and you're trans and like your life is going to be on the line every fucking day. You know what I'm right. saying? Yeah. And, and particularly if you're black. Right. And and so given that. There's motherfuckers who still choose to try and live and survive and maybe even thrive, you know, and and that's just because. That, well, I mean, I'm not, I won't simplify that because I don't know that reality. But what I'm saying is that there, there's a choice for a lot of queer people, maybe not everybody, but for a lot of queer people, Black, Indigenous, people of color, queer people, to either take your life or to maybe be curious about what life could look like for you, you know? Yeah. And I think that when you are faced with that decision every single day, or that, or like that, maybe you're not, it's not even about taking your own life. Maybe it's like, yo, like every day I wake up fearing that somebody's going to kill me, you know, mm-hmm. when you're faced with these decisions between like literally curiosity of life and, and the other side, which is death. It's sort of like, I feel like when I talk to queer people of color, a lot of them are like, yeah, I, I didn't take my life because I was curious to see what it could look like for somebody like me, if I was surrounded by love, if I was surrounded by support with support. And, and so I'm saying all of this to say that when, when you're, when, when your life is coming from that kind of, of a foundation, like you can't help but make fun of the shit that you're dealing with every single day. You can't help but see the humor in the in the stupidity and the absurdity of the world that's telling you that you don't belong do you get what i'm saying 100 percent. yeah like it's like so many black and brown queer and trans people are like y'all think that we're the freaks but if i were to just shine the mirror right back at you you'd see how everything that you're doing is a big heap of fucking mess you know yep so um so anyway uh, i feel like the comedy is has been rooted for me in my, it's allowed me to see how I've graduated from the pain. Like if I'm able to like laugh at something that used to hurt me so badly, then that's a marker for me to say that I have graduated to the next, to to another, to another plane, I guess is the best way to say it. And not, I'm not trying to talk about like in a hierarchical way. I'm talking about my healing as a, as a queer and trans person of color. Um, and so, so that I feel, I feel like comedy is one of those magical tools that given like if it were in the hands of somebody who really does care about humanity, like that's the vibe of the comedy that you're going to get. Like you're going to get like some really funny, silly, stupid, hilarious shit versus when that tool is in the hands of a comic who's just destructive and hasn't done their own healing you know Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. it just then it just becomes really like like i said destructive like you're literally you know you could be contributing to society but no you're choosing to bring your own shit and like make people wallow in that as well you know and there's you know i think that i i um 
I know you didn't ask this, but I do think that this happens oftentimes as people heal for themselves, like their taste in comics even changes. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like who they liked 10 years ago is like they, they, they don't even have the stomach for it now, you know? I, I'm definitely experiencing that in terms of everything from comics to music to uh to films you know because because we're evolving right and ideally maturing as people and becoming more conscious of things and um recognizing maybe the the role that xyz piece of art whether that be a stand-up set or a film or a tv show or, or a piece of music or whatever to to tell something of a historical time capsule of what culture and society was like at that time. Mm-hmm. It serves a purpose for sure. And then as we, as we change, you know, like me as a grown, a grown ass woman, that's working on healing a lot of my own trauma, my issues with men and um, being, you know, a survivor of an abusive relationship. When I look back on some things that I engaged with very enthusiastically as like a 20 something year old, you know, like I listen to it now and I'm just like, I, I cannot, I don't, I cannot have the same level of enthusiasm. I'm just like that. This was feeding into some toxic shit. This mm-hmm. was, this was a projection or a manifestation or an extension of like my own toxicity that was within me for lack yeah. of better words. Right. Yeah. And, and it's so clear to me now, but it wasn't clear to me then. Cause I was in a different place in life then. Right. And um, it's constantly fascinating me. I'm definitely recognizing every day, you know, some different thing where there was something that I really just thought was, was my life and representing of me. And I was cool with it. I would promote it. And now just recognizing I've graduated out of that and not even to like hate on myself for that. And that part too, is like actually looking at my 20 something year old self and be like, Oh honey, you just didn't know. Yeah. But like a lot of like, that's the whole thing is like, we, we don't know, like, and we could be like, I, like, I don't, I don't judge where I was at in my 20s, but I did. I totally judged the fuck out of myself and all yes. of the bad decisions I made or the yep. seemingly bad, what I thought were bad decisions. And I was like, I wouldn't be who I am right now if I hadn't gone through all of that. So I feel like everything serves its purpose and we got to like just honor, honor our past and just be like, okay, like, and I, and if I didn't have that sort of marker of growth, like, then then I wouldn't know how far I've grown. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Exactly. That's like it's a it's a way to, I guess, measure. Not I mean, there's not a quantifiable way, but you can you can get yeah. a sense like, oh wow, yeah. I've really come a long way. And and you know, that's actually making me think of uh Disclosure, the documentary mm-hmm. from Netflix. Yeah, beautiful. So good and so beautiful. And I, I was like, just, I was thinking, I had to pause it several times because I literally took notes while I was watching this because there are so many amazing truth bombs in this yeah. documentary yeah, and such powerful reflections of humanity, of brokenness, of hope. And just like, and exactly what you said, like the absurdity, like are you kidding me? Cause like you, you, they, there's, it's a documentary. So they have all these historical reference points of like how trans people, how queer people were depicted, right. Historically throughout media. And you're just like, my God, like, holy shit. But yeah. it's also like this weird, bittersweet feeling. Cause you're like, wow, we have come a long way. Right. Like it's this weird double edged sort of like, it's so cringy and painful to be like, yeah. Yeah. This is how it's been. But then you're like, 
I'm really glad we're not there anymore. Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah, but it's, no, absolutely. It's a really wonderful film and I hope that everybody watches it. And um, I'm just, I mean, here's like what you, cause a lot of it is talking about obviously just representation, right? That's like the overall theme of uh, what you and I both care about. That's like, you know, our worlds are a lot about being authentic to who we are, but knowing that who we are plays a role in representation of the intersection of all the things that we are. Right. Yes. And I'm curious as to like your, your take on like the evolution of, of the, the trans representation. Cause that's what it's like very much. You get so many different perspectives in this documentary and you know, yeah, actually I can, I can Mm -hmm. talk. I, I, I don't, so I can talk to you about like what, I understand uh, to be my own journey as uh-huh. in uh, in regards to trans representation. Um, I know that had I, um, I actually got interviewed twice to be in this, uh, in Disclosure, but I think for whatever reasons, and, and there are a whole multitude of reasons why certain interviews were taken and certain weren't. So I'm not, I'm not salty at that at all. Like I love Sam and I love Laverne Cox and um, I'm, I'm so happy that disclosure exists. Um, But I think that when um, one of the questions was that, you know, like how would my life had been, were it be, were it um, considered like a com a commonplace to have trans characters be, be shown in, a positive light and not as the butt of a joke or that they were killed or that they were monsters or that, or, or anything like that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know for myself personally that I, I, in the same way, and we're talking about the intersectionality bit here, right. in the same way that I flipped when I saw a Brown person on TV or even an Asian person on TV, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, or if I, in the same way that I flipped, if I saw, like, I remember seeing Facts of Life and Joe on that, and I was like, oh, like maybe I could grow up to be something like that where I didn't have to be hyper-feminine, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I basically took cues from what I was seeing, and it wasn't until I saw Queen Latifah that I was like, this is what a creative, strong, masculine feeling woman is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And and it was the first time I could even be okay with being a girl, you know? Yeah. And um and because I was already struggling with so much. And then when I saw Queen Latifah as an MC, this was like way back in the day before any of her, like Queen Latifah was like one of my favorite MCs growing up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, um, and if, if I didn't have her, like, I don't know where I would even be right now. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And so in that same regard, I don't think that I would have, I think that I might've even started my journey transitioning earlier if I would have seen more positive um, uh, representation around uh, of trans people. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, you know, the intersections are very important to me because I didn't see 
South Asian people who were even queer on TV mm -hmm. until recently, you know? Right. So, so I, I feel like, um, all the people that I know who are queer and South Asian and who are, have been on the shows, like we all know each other. Um, you know, it, it was, it's a, it's been a big moment within the past five years. And then especially over the past, um, year and a half, I believe, where it's like this real strong push to have people who are, um, who are either queer people of color or who are representing stories that aren't very, um, I don't know what the exact word is, but like, I think it was like monolith or, or just mm -hmm. like one way is what I'm mm -hmm. saying. Like, mm -hmm. like where you're not just seeing a whole bunch of trans women who are, um, who are going to be killed because they're sex workers. You know what I'm saying? Right. Um, that, that, that the, that the, that you, you were seeing characters who are so, um, like they're also, they also reflect the multitude of identities within our community, you know, mm -hmm. and, and the, and the, and the vastness of our storylines as well. Of course, there's still a lot more work to be done, but mm -hmm. a ton more work to be done, but that's on every single tip, especially when it comes to, um, uh, race, uh, race and ethnicity as well right. at the intersections of queerness. Um, so anyway, the, I, I feel like I, me, myself personally, like I was at that tipping, like, you know, there's that transgender tipping point people keep talking about. And, and I was like, with, without knowing I was ending up getting a lot of roles that, um, during that time. And then, and then it was like, it, it felt like things kind of dried up for a little bit. And then. Mm -hmm if there was one role or two roles that everybody, like literally everybody that I knew was auditioning for those roles. So, uh, you know, there's still not uh, like so many roles for trans people, but I think that um, what, what ends up, what is good is that people are talking about it. And right. also the conversation has opened up for trans people to go out for cis roles, you know, mm -hmm. or like, why does this person have to be straight? Like people are being intentional in how they're casting now. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Cause there's a, I feel like there's just a, a heightened consciousness. Yes. I think within certain circles, at least I feel like so when, when I see the news some days, I feel like that's a too generous <laughs> of a thing, but the, I, I, I just feel very fortunate that we are amongst a lot of different people. I can name several that are very conscious and, and I would trust to tell stories well, right? Yeah, exactly. And that's important because we haven't had that before. And there's maybe that added value that we feel now because there seems to be a little bit more room to breathe. Mm -hmm. Whereas before you're just like holding your breath. Well, Jenny's the one is like the rep sweats, right? Like you're just mm -hmm. scared that is like, if this, if this, if this one gets messed up, man, like, yeah, we're all screwed. You know, it's going to take, it's not even going to be like, we're at neutral. It's like we, we took steps back or leaps back. If this no, thing, absolutely. this absolutely. limited view is very, uh, if it, if it doesn't go as well as hope. So, uh, it's, it's nice. I'm very glad that we have more space to breathe and be more creative and to be more thoughtful because it's kind of just, I go back to science. It's like when you're in a heightened state of stress and survival mode all the time, you're not thinking clearly. There's very little room to operate in a, 
in a truly like effective manner when you're mm-hmm. just like trying to survive. You're in that fight or flight mode and there's that healthy medium of stress. Okay, like there are stakes here, but I'm not going to die this very second, which I just like we're all reflecting on kind of this high stakes feeling that has existed for so many marginalized communities in an in really intense way since forever. Mm-hmm. And then other people are checking privilege because they're like, I never had to really worry or I had to never really be in this state for too yeah. long. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It's definitely absolutely. checking mine. I mean, I, I, I've had my perspectives on being a woman of color. Um, there's a lot of parallels in the reasons why I gravitated towards like black culture. I've reflected, you know, a lot on that, especially with black lives matter and with my friends talking about the, their experiences but I found myself as a woman of color that grew up in in California where there was a lot of diversity, but no representation, right? That as a minority woman, I felt what was being spoken about or expressed through Black culture, which was the music and the TV. Like I loved living single and family matters. Mm-hmm. I think I connected more with that than like Full House. I watch Full House because it's like CJF. So like, of course, I'm gonna watch Full House. But there's like, again, the connections, that feeling of feeling seen and in some way understood and uh, supported or feeling like there's a place for you to rest your head a little bit because. Yeah. Well, it was like if whiteness was so far away that it felt like black folks were the closest thing to Asian or South Asian, like any other, any other, uh, non-white group you know (laughs) right right and i i think that that is why what was also so attractive to um for me attractive not being the right word but like i as a young super chocolatey kid in lancaster california that was racist as fuck and i felt something that i you know something wasn't right like as as youngsters, we know that when something doesn't feel balanced or equal, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. yet I had parents who were like, all you could do is just keep your head down and don't say shit, don't rock the boat, just do what you need to do because um, otherwise you're going to get, you're, you're either going to get killed or you're going to be shunned and you won't get a good job or do you get what I'm saying? Like basically yeah. don't make noise. And yep. then when you had this very beautiful, um, and I grew up on, on hip hop in the, in the mid to late eighties. Um, when you had artists who were coming out and they were like, no, there's shit, shit's been wrong. And especially for black people. So like, can we not talk about this? And they're, they're writing rhymes about the shit that is so important to them and to their, and, and to the wellness and the survival of their own communities. It's sort of like, oh shit. Like I remember as a youngster, I was like looking at Queen Latifah and I didn't even know that she was like African American. I thought that she was an African immigrant because I didn't understand Latifah was not her, the name she was given at birth and that that was a reclamation and that I didn't know a lot of the, I was too young to know that black MCs were going back to their roots. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So. So to me, I was like, well, here's this immigrant African person talking about the shit that is important to her. I can do that, too. Mm-hmm. So when, on one hand, I get this narrative coming from my family, my community, the cultural aspect, which is just shut up and do your work. Mm-hmm. And then 
from from the hip hop world, they were like, no, you had the power in you to make a difference. And it was it, it was magical and infectious. And that to me is is my um like why i consumed so much um music uh, the culture like i even knew that like certain things weren't mine to own i don't know where i came where i got even that understanding mm-hmm. but but you know that that hip hop was something that could be held in the hands of immigrants and like we created a, our our understanding of it from a cultural perspective mm-hmm. like it's uh, of course there's cultural appropriation and that's not what i'm talking about right but um but i think that there's a there's something to be said about appreciation yeah to the point where it's like you know i i think that the, it, the, it's a fine line and people kind of step over a lot of the times but i think that what i am trying to say is that Everybody that I knew that I was making art with who was of color or an immigrant or undocumented or 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 whatever, whatever, fleeing from the various wars that were taking place on their the various motherlands. Everybody had a similar understanding of what black music was to them. And I think that, you know, it now is such a great time to be reflective because that's going to change how we create our art moving forward is being very intentional about centering black lives and mm-hmm. and understanding that we are here and we benefited so fucking much as asian and south asian people from black people that maybe we just need to like maybe the right thing to do right now is just to make room for all of our black community our black friends are you know what i'm saying the black Mm -hmm. artists that like just to be like look like this world has done y'all fucking wrong you know what i'm Mm -hmm. saying Mm -hmm. and and um and that and that is you know these are questions that i'm constantly with it's like how do i like when when i'm given the chance to center my story how do i then decenter so that i'm allowing for space for more um more of my black friends and artists that i'm creating with to to get in on that shit you know what i'm saying mhm mhm and it's i had a I, I love what you said and and i i had an interesting conversation with a friend about the concepts or the act of decentering yourself and and creating space, and I agree with that. And I think that that's especially now. It's a, because timing matters so much, right? And I think what is happening, um, it's kind of looking at like what's the short and long term. Like how do we how do we all go about this? I think that's a big question on a lot of people's minds in general. I think honestly, in terms of activism in general, and I, it's definitely intensely squared, like focused on. The Black Lives Matter movement, and there's also other people in other communities that also are kind of 
are gaining their own empowerment from watching and witnessing the Black Lives mm-hmm. Matter to to stand up for their own selves, right? And I think that that's so beautiful, right? And so there was a conversation I had with a friend that's like, it's not trying to be like, but what about? It's not the but what about? It's like, is there space to... It's about talking about space and timing. Like I want, I want to provide that space, and definitely, like the Black community needs that space, and we need solidarity, we need allyship, and all of that, one hundred percent. And also, how can I also coexist? How can I also show solidarity and love for the Black community, honoring that struggle by also being empowered myself in my community, in my own story? And and that comes to that question of like, how do you center it, right? Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. We're just, I mean, I'm just putting that out there because I feel very clunky in approaching. This is like literally figuring it out as I'm talking about it out loud again with you. Yeah, no, I think that we all are. Like, I don't have all the answers either. Yeah. But I think that, I think that the biggest thing is to just stay in the knowing. Like, we're, we're still fresh at understanding where we've all been complacent. Right. Do you get what I'm yes. saying? Yes. And, yes. And so I think that it takes a little bit longer to sort of like sort through it and not necessarily like negate the, the hard work and the, and our, and our own struggles, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But to sort of look at how we have as, as all people benefited, um, especially in the U.S. from, um, from the, the, the literal, like, I don't know how else to say this, but like, like, um, maybe, maybe racism feels like such a small word for this, but like, it's been like the constant killing or fucking with the black community. You get what I'm saying? Like, these are yeah. this is like years and years and years and years and centuries and centuries. So, so um, I think that we just have to kind of sit with it, look at it, ask yes. ourselves questions figure it out with other people, come yeah. up with our own understandings, test it out. If that don't work or if it doesn't feel right, then moving to another place of understanding. And it's just, it's that, that part has to be constant, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's honestly, I, there's something that I feel really, really humbled by in terms of what I've seen from my, my friends who are of color, who are LGBTQ People who have who have endured such tremendous strife in their life and have had to struggle for things that are very basic. Again, we're talking about privilege, right? Like that other people just expect and others have to like have to have to work and demand or fight for or sacrifice for or compromise for or just you know what I mean? Like I, I'm just humbled about the, the capacity for love and for positivity, for light, for hope, for like endurance in general mm-hmm. to to take all of that and still like get up every day and be like hi can I give you a hug and like these are people that have like genuinely fed my soul and mm-hmm. I, I just want to take space to acknowledge because um I've had difficult conversations within my own family and I'm not going to call out who but I'm still struggling through the existence of the racism and homophobia and and I haven't even talked about trans people because that we haven't gone past homophobia. You know what I'm saying? And so Mm -hmm. like, it makes me so fiercely upset to, to attempt those conversations. That's layered on like, just like my own issues with (laughs) certain family um, in general. And there's a lot there that people are now attempting to address. 
And these are like super, super sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just comes from when I take a step back and again, I've been thinking a lot and like journaling a lot and like doing a lot of reflection. It comes from the fact that like so many of my, my, my friends who have been marginalized and like beaten down and still get up and like smile and do another day. Like they have fed my soul and supported my, my own like fortitude in life by simply existing the way that they do. I don't know how to mm-hmm. put it. Mm-hmm. And if that's any reason, I just, I just like, it breaks my heart. Like when I watch Disclosure, I just, I start crying and it's just, it makes me, and when I watch these documentaries about the black community too, it's just about, when I watch 13th and I watch, uh, when I'm just learning, like how yeah. it has, how, yeah. how it has been, it's a revelation to me, but it's the reality for other people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, I don't know. It's just a lot. I don't I don't even know. Yeah, no, I know it is. It is. And I think that like, that's what, like what you're doing and like what a lot of folks are doing in this time is like trying to educate themselves. I think that like, that's, that's all we can ask. You know what I'm saying? Like, it, it feels like, it feels like such a small ask and yet people are afraid to even like, I think that, I think that a lot of people and people of color who are not black feel like they're that by us centering black lives that it, like I said earlier, like it, that it, it's an erasure of, of what we've gone through. You get what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I, I feel like I don't see it that way. Like, I think that we, we see it that way because it's so difficult for us to hold the pain of what we've gone through and yet we don't know we don't have the language to actually talk about it or heal through it so Mm -hmm. that if somebody's saying like your stuff doesn't matter we're like wait but we're already spending all this time trying to act like it doesn't matter who are you to say that and tell me that I have to center somebody else and that's not actually what's being asked right like what's being asked of us at this time in this in this moment in time is to be like just pause for a second and stop and think about the fact that we have all benefited from this white supremacy, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and and then, you know, and I'm saying that not just around black folks, but like when we're talking about queer and trans people of color, like, right. you know, what, what has, how white supremacy shows up to, silence these stories as well you know and it comes in very subtle ways and i think that's like an interesting conversation that's been happening about what it means to be racist even like when Mm -hmm. people are talking about that um it's not enough to be not racist you have to be anti-racist and the way that people qualify that they're like well i'm not racist because i don't go scream at people in the street you know what i mean like that's how Mm -hmm. they yeah they qualify that as that's a that's a racist person someone who like you know kind of externally attack somebody else. But that's not what we're, you know, and we're, and I think that's where the conversation is, is maturing to give credit to it. It's maturing to recognize that ain't all of it, you know, like, no, yeah, it includes that. And that's not the extent (laughs) of it. There's much more to also qualify and understand and take responsibility for. And I think that in general is telling of, of, of humanity in general. We don't want to look at our ugly bits a lot. There's a lot of people who just like will spend their entirety of their existence avoiding myself included. I'm not like saying this in a condemning way. I've spent a lot of my time running away from 
my ugly bits of like how I have been complicit or active or, you know, uh, just like participating in things that are less than what I'd like to envision myself to be. And I'm like, mm-hmm. well, shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, not very proud of that. But it's also like, that's also a really, I say the people that I admire the most are people who are very gracious to themselves and to others about that. Like, yeah, yeah it's, it's like, it's a very undesirable aspect of you or myself. And glad you came to your senses about it. You know, yeah. like, really happy to have you in a place where that's no longer the case. Right. Um, and I'm curious, like what your thoughts are on like cancel culture and all this stuff, because I know that right. people are just digging into everybody's past right now and, di- you know, bring up all sorts of things. Like it's a lot, like it's intense too. Like it's a very swift and brutal, like, I mean, Twitter, I, so I don't go on Twitter personally. Yeah. Um, I will say this, uh, cancel culture is, I feel like, you know, while I want to cancel a lot of people, I <laughs> I try not to be so fucking harsh because I'm like, you know, this is the thing. You said it at the very top of the game. You were like, you know, I there were things that I didn't feel like I I could even talk about. And I was worried if people were going to come after me. But then, like, how am I going to learn and all of this stuff? And like, there's a fair amount of educating that we can do. And there's resources and there's tools. And then there is working it out with our own people to try and figure out like what is, you know, we have to engage our own people, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And I think that throughout my career, if I've ever been problematic by accident, I have been called out or called in rather and, um, and been engaged in a conversation. And I have always tried to stay as open as I humanly, as, as humanly as I could Mm-hmm. Um, I think that cancel culture is, is like destructive, but yet there's like certain things that I feel like do need to be canceled, like, right. um, you know, racist ways and, you know, like, uh, like just the idiot shit that people do that just shows their pettiness or their, or their l- lack of, um, they're, they're like they don't have that thing that just sort of is like okay well let me just put pause on myself real quick and look at like what how my behavior is destructive you know what i'm saying right so but you know i like the i am so i feel so almost wishy-washy around like what does cancel culture really mean because there are white folks who have really bigoted family members in the same way that like we as uh, Asian and South Asian folks have really bigoted family members and yet we don't cancel those people right like we mm-hmm. sit with them and we try and talk to them or we're like we still try and show love even though they're fucking awful people but and then it's sort of like okay well why aren't we canceling those motherfuckers you know what I'm right. saying right and and then you realize if you really love somebody you want to try and engage them and see that like you know that they are they have some humanity. I mean, say for the sociopaths, I would say by and large, like there's a lot of folks who, who their humanity is being covered by all of their, um, their insecurities and their fears and pain and sorrow and all sorts of shit. Right. So, Mm -hmm. so I think that, you know, in my mind, I have canceled some people, but those were also people I never even had a shot at engaging them in a conversation. Do you get right. what I'm saying? Yeah. So, yeah. so like, 
you know, I think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it's sort of like, well, if somebody doesn't want to really engage the conversation, like go ahead and cancel them. You know what I'm saying? Right. But, but, you know, not just off of an accident and not just even though they've tried their best to apologize and you get what I'm saying? Like you could tell a real apology from a fake one. Exactly. Yeah. I think, I think because of all that, it's also giving us a lot of data to work with in terms of seeing examples of things that can cue, clue you into like the sincerity of something. And if this is, this is a turning point or if this is just, you know, talking point from a publicist or trying to save your own ass kind of thing. So I, and I do, I, you said it a lot more eloquently than I did, but there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of space for, for growth there. I think it's just, again, reflecting on where we're at and we're getting bombarded with a lot. So it's, we, we only have so many neurons to expend on any one given thing. So yeah. I just appreciate your, your grace in, in that and, and grace that other people have, have created and provided me and other people who have maybe not been their best at any given point. So maybe that's just my like sign of encouragement. And I know that uh, you need to go and I want to get you on your way. Is there anything in closing that you want to, I mean, I have, there's so much more I want to talk to you about. I could talk to you for hours and hours and hours, but in closing, is there anything that you want to impart with people in July of 2020? <laughs> I feel <laughs> like, I feel like, you know, just everybody do your best and support people. And there's so many resources out there that, if there's ever any sort of like question people have, like, trust me, there's something there. If you're like, yo, I don't even know how to navigate this. This is the, I'm sure that I'm the only person who's dealing with all of this stuff. No, you're not there. Get online, see, like type the shit in there and you'll find somebody or go into your social medias and, and get, get what you need. There's, there's somebody who has thought about you already. Yeah. And, and they're, and they've created things for you. So, so get what you need. And then outside of that, um, I, I do want to say that I, my collective of mostly queer um, artists, more social justice aligned artists, have created a space for South Asian artists for Black Lives. So if anybody is listening and wants to join that, please hit me up. I love it. And where, where can people find you so they can... See your work. Yeah. And my handle, my handle for everything is D Loco Kid. D L O C O K I D. D Loco Kid. I love it. D Loco. Can I? Uh, can I? Like, I'm asking you on the spot on air, but can I invite you back to again talk more with me? Because I have absolutely. I love talking to you. I feel yeah. like a brand new person. I feel very inspired, and I want to go sit on a mountain right now for the next. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, oh, I'm that amazing. <laughs> I'm telling you, I genuinely, I'm in a very gr- gratitude uh, practicing state of being right now. And, oh, and for me, it's genuinely like I'm recognizing how, you know, not overinflating it, but th- we're in a we're in a very precarious moment in time, right? And I don't know what will happen tomorrow. The likely yeah. odds are I'm probably going to live tomorrow, but you never know, right? That question is just a lot more present. And so I'm just like, you know what, Minji? If you freaking love somebody and if you appreciate them, you you tell them. Yes, tell them absolutely, absolutely. Hundredth degree. So I just love and appreciate you. Thank you for the work that you do for sharing your art, for being funny as fuck. Like I just like I Thank appreciate you, anybody Minji, who can bring for doing laughter. Everything you do. I love you very, very much, and I hope that you have a really great rest of your day.
Awesome. Yeah, you take care. Inji, so great talking to you. Thank you. Thanks everyone for tuning in for this week's episode of First of All. That is it for episode 118, closing out three years of this podcast. What a trip. Thank you to Dilo for being such an amazing guest. Be sure to follow him on social media. You can find me at First of All Pod or my personal page at Minjeezy. For more updates,、uh, go to my website, firstofallpod.com, and you can see all the things about my blog and merch and things like that, which will all be up. And yeah, thank you guys for being my ride or dies. I appreciate you being here. Thank you to Marvin Yue, my audio engineer and producer. And thank you to Uzuhan for use of his song Uzu Trap for the intro and outro. I'm also a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Be sure to check out the website, the Instagram, see all the other amazing Asian American podcasters out there who are sharing their stories, creating really funny, insightful content for us to enjoy and learn and grow from.、Um, you can find First of All Podcasts on all of the platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Radio Public, everywhere else you can find podcasts. And yeah. Feel free to hit me up, first of all, pod at gmail.com. Stay tuned, there's more stuff to come, more conversations. And,、uh, oh, real quick disclaimer I don't know exactly how I phrased it. I just want to put on the record I, I personally love the word intersectionality. And I just remember that I, I misspoke and I didn't want to interrupt Dilo, so I didn't、uh, interrupt him and his train of thought. Um, no, intersectionality is everything. I think I was alluding to. I don't know how I feel about certain people, the way that certain people use it. Anyway, I just wanted to include that as an insert. Sorry to make this closing awkward. I just had to say it. I had to be on record. And you know what? It's my podcast, it's my space. I can do what I want. I love all of you, though. And thank you so much for being part of this family. Have an amazing week. I'll see you in the next episode. Take care of yourselves. Be healthy. Be safe. Bye. What you're saying, though? Ching, ching, chong. I keep it trilly. Some of you sounded real silly. Yeah. All of you, whoo, hi. I mean, like, really? I'm guessing it's my mistake for thinking that people can do better. Do better. Do better. I refuse to be your jet. I refuse to be your jackie chat. Keep on yapping off like that. Keep on yapping all that jazz. A man can only take so much when he. Hey, I'm Phil Yu, and you may know me from a blog called Angry Asian Man. And I'm Jeff Yang, author, journalist, and celebrity dad. We host a podcast called They Call Us Bruce, an unfiltered conversation about what's happening in Asian America. Each week or so, we host a discussion about some of the most vital and interesting topics in our pop culture and our community, bringing in guests who are shaping and informing this thing called Asian America from Hollywood to DC and beyond.、Uh, we've got media, entertainment, food, family, politics, representation. The good, the bad, the WTF of it all. So check us out wherever you get your podcasts or at theycallsbruce.com. Peace. Peace.